Hi, and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. We'll be going back to Luke chapter 15 again today. And uh, I feel like the Lord's been stirring our hearts on this topic. Certainly has been working on me and, and Brother Joe. Pastor Joe, and uh, and I appreciate what God's doing. Don't you appreciate the truth of God's Word? I've seen some things over the last couple of days, people wrestling with truth and what is truth, and people's response to their question that has bothered me to the point of distraction. It bothered me so bad that, that I... I went and prayed about it because I was upset, <laughs> and uh, I responded to it, and, but it just bothered me. But the, to edify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks of you a reason of the hope that lies in you with meekness and fear. If somebody asks you a question about why you love Jesus tomorrow, are you ready to give them an answer? Are you ready to give them an answer that comes from the pages of God's word? It is important that we understand why we believe what we believe. And not just based on our personal experience, although that's powerful testimony. But based on the words of God. The word of God. The words in the word of God. It's important. That's why you ought to read your Bible. That's why you ought to read the whole Bible. As much of it as you can, as fast as you can. If you can't read real good, listen to it. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And with all the technology, we've got no excuse for not being Bible people if we're not. Uh, I know some of us are. Some of us probably could do better. Luke chapter number 15 I was talking with Brother Al uh, about the Bible and some things we had studied before service. And I told him, the more I study God's word, the less I feel like I know. It just gets deeper and deeper and deeper and better and better and better. And God speaks to you according to where you are in life. And I just, I love the word of God. And it has been, it has been a light to me. It is dependable. And when, when the world burns, God's word will stand. With that said, let's look to it for some instruction for us. <clears throat> Last week we preached the, the first part of this passage and, and talked about the journey of the prodigal son away from home and what happened to him when he got away from home. Today I want to look at what led him to come home and what happened when he got there. Now, there's a third part uh, that we could go into. I don't know that we will. It talks about how certain people responded. Uh, But tonight, I want to talk about how the father responded. And in this passage of scripture, we often look at the father as being some kind of type of God. Perhaps there are certainly things there we, we, we could draw parallels. But really, I feel like the point is to show us how the family of God ought to respond to the prodigal. 
Because at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus tells this story in response to people who were complaining about his methods of outreach. And so he tells this story in response to those who are complaining. And he talks about how a coin that's lost is sought for and how a sheep that's lost is sought for. Then he talks about how a son that is lost must come home himself. And that's because man made a willful choice to leave God. And man must also make a willful choice to come back to God. And so there, there is much instruction here. And, and we left with what I think is one of the most hopeful verses in the Bible. Uh, where the prodigal is in the pig pen. Uh, beginning literally to starve to death. He said, uh, I, he, he literally says, I'm going to perish with hunger in the KJV there. And... and <clears throat> He, he says, it says that in verse 16 that he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods of swine ate. He said of him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I think this most hopeful verse in the Bible is where it says when he came to himself. And he had a moment of clarity. And, and I'll get to that. He said, I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And uh, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. We're talking uh, again this week. About when the party's over. And last week we talked about what the prodigal does or needs to do when the party's over. And the fun and sin runs out. Uh, this week we're going to talk, Lord willing, about what the church should do when the party's over. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful to be in your house tonight. I'm thankful for your word Lord, I'm thankful for how you've been dealing with us about this topic of soul winning. Oh, God, guide me as I preach and teach your people. Lord, bind every hindering spirit, arrest every wandering mind, give us liberty and clarity for your glory and our good. In the name of Jesus. Amen. F.W. Borum wrote about the prodigal in his famous book about the prodigal son. That when the prodigal got away from himself, he left his father's house. And when he, came, when he came to himself, he went home as fast as he could. Oh, I would to God that, that some backsliders and sinners we know would have this moment when they come to themselves. This moment of clarity. The Bible gives us instructions in 2 Timothy. and He's talking about the spirit that the man of God should have. And he says, The servant of the Lord must not 
uh, quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient and meet in humility. I want to, I'm trying to read it in New King James and quote it in KJV, and that's not going to work. <laughs> Pick one. And if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses. I, I think that's, that's an important phrase there, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. The KJV says they were taken captive by him at his will, whenever he wanted to. They were taken captive whenever he wants, and they do whatever he wants. But the Bible says that we ought to pray and we ought to work patiently and carefully and gently with these, rather than fighting with them, arguing with them, and bickering with them, uh, so that they can have a moment where they come to their senses. Because the simple fact of the matter is, is that sinners are out of their mind. You ever looked at some of the things sinner did and said, my Lord, have mercy. You ought to know not to do that. Well, sinners sin. It's the nature of it. It's like criminals break laws. That's what they do. That's who they are. They are of their father, the devil. And they do what he wants them to do. But there, there is a moment where God, in his mercy, gives them a moment of clarity. And there is great hope in that. In this fact where it says the prodigal came to himself. That tells me that he, up to this moment, had been walking around spiritually in a trance, in a daze, out of his mind, out of his head, not realizing how badly he was behaving, not realizing how bad he was acting, not realizing how terrible his choices were. Do you know any sinners like that where it just doesn't seem like they really realize what they're doing? Where they don't really seem to realize the consequences of their choices, the consequences of their actions. They may give head knowledge to it, but it doesn't seem like it's really sunk in what they're doing. But the Bible says that, that, that he came to himself. And that's powerful. I've often prayed and you ought to, too, when you pray about loved ones, and especially backsliders, God, give them a moment of clarity. A moment where they clearly see their sin. Where they clearly see the Savior. And they clearly know that they have a choice to make. They need a moment. It says that they may come to this, their senses. They've been taken captive by the devil and they need a moment where God kicks the jailkeeper out of the prison for a minute and lets them understand where they really are and what they're really dealing with and who they really are. Because until they come to that moment of clarity, they will never come back to God. That's the turning point where conviction has gotten their attention. And that's the moment where somebody can make the decision to come back to the Lord. The Bible says very simply in verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. It's real simple, isn't it? He said, I, I'm starving. Even my father's staff has plenty of food. I'm out here feeding this guy's pigs, and he won't even give me part of their food to eat. And what they were eating wasn't really edible anyway. So what am I doing? Why am I starving here? I want to drive that point home that this boy, before he left the pig pen, was actually physically 
beginning to starve to death. He said, if I stay here, I will die of hunger. So if somebody is realizing that they're starving to death, what kind of physical condition are they in? He had to be to the point where he was fatigued, where his muscles had begun to atrophy, where his stomach had begun to shrink. He had probably had that gaunt look of somebody that's dying. You ever seen those pictures with the bloated stomach and the rest of them's rail thin and their eyes are hollow, and their teeth are jutting out? The picture of a starving man. That's where the sinner is. At that rock bottom moment when they realize, I'm going to starve to death here. And that's when he makes this decision. Now the Bible says it very simply. He arose and came to his father. Now because of the simplicity of that, I think a lot of times we get this Veggie Tales version of what happened in our minds. He said, no place like home. Poop, there he is. But think back, the Bible says that he gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Now his mode of travel when he had plenty of money was probably a camel or a horse or some kind of animal. He probably rode in a caravan for protection that was going. I don't know how far away he went, but I know on the way back he had spent all of his money. He didn't have any money to buy food or transportation He did not have any food to eat and hadn't for some time because he realized he was starving. So he was very weak. He did not have much strength. So And now he has to walk from however far a far country is back to home. Do you get in that picture? It's like I told you. It it, it would be like if I told you get your least protective clothing in the middle of the summer. Take all your shoes and socks off. Don't eat for 30 days. And now walk to Chicago. How long would it take you to get there? See, we have have this idea that the prodigal says, I'm going home, and there he is. But we need to understand that his return was difficult. The reason that he wanted to go in the first place is because there was no food to eat and because he was starving. And he's far away with no food. So at the beginning of his journey home, he is starving. How hungry must he have been when he finally made it closer to home? We must understand that the sinner, even before they make up their mind to come home, are already broken. They are already wounded. They are already hurting. And for some, the journey home is a very difficult one. Especially the backslider. All the way home, this prodigal who's starving to death and his ribs are sticking out. He says, I never ever missed a meal at my daddy's house. Not only that, he's ashamed because he left. And not only that, he doesn't know if he'll be received when he gets back home. And I talked to you last week about, I really believe... There are backsliders that would love to go back to God, but their church culture has taught them that because of the decisions they've made, because of the way their life has been broken in sin, that they can never be anything less than a second-class citizen at that church. They can never be anything more than sitting at a distance. They can never be anything more than at the kiddie table and never really part. And this this prodigal doesn't even know if his daddy's going to take him back. All he knows is if I don't try 
I'll die. So he makes this, this trip. We must understand it would have taken him a long time. It would have taken him much longer to get home than it took him to leave home. Think about that. There are some people that we're praying for that they want to come home. They've been thinking about it. They've been trying to figure out a way to get there. But they're so wrapped up in the things that they've done in the far country that even the decision to leave the pig pen is fraught with challenges. Well, here at least I can eat a few scraps of the pig food and maybe I'll survive through the famine and maybe another round of good times will come. Maybe there'll be another season where I've got money. No, but he, he knows if I go home, I may not be accepted. I'm certainly not getting another inheritance. I don't even know if they'll let me in the door. I, don't, they're probably, I know they won't let me sing in the choir. I know, I know all of these things. If I ever even make it home, will they even let me come? There are sinners that want to come back to God. But their experience has told them the journey home is going to be a long one. There are some that are trying to come. And, there, and don't, you think, don't you think that the devil will fight a black slider that's trying to make it home? I wonder what the weather was like for his trip home. I bet it was as hot as it had ever been. Not a cloud in the sky. Burning, his clothes are torn. He smells like pigs. He's starving. He's hungry. I bet that sand was... The sand in the desert gets real, real hot in the day and real, real cold at night. And he doesn't have any shoes. This is a long trip home. The, center, the prodigal's return was difficult. We, we've got to understand that, that we're living and working with people that are broken. They're hurting. They're in bad shape. They're starving. They're a long way home and in no condition to travel. And yet that's exactly what they got to do. Do you see now why the Bible says he that winneth souls is wise? It's not easy. It's a hard trip. His return was difficult, but his restoration was definite. I want to take some time and look at what the father, I know I'm more in teacher mode than I was last week, but they're, they're, I want to take some time to look at what the father did. The Bible tells us in verse 20 that the father saw him when he was a great way off. The Father's actions here tell us how we ought to deal with sinners, and especially backsliders. There is such instruction here that, that God help us to live up to it. His Father saw him when he was a long way away. There's only one way you see something. The only way, and that is, you were looking for it. The only way this Father saw his Son is he been looking for him? I can see, I, I can just imagine this commentary, not doctrine, but I can see the father every day going to a certain place, to the road that his son traveled when he left the house. This is the way he went. Is today the day? Is, and then this is an old man. He's old enough to give his inheritance to his children. Is today the day? We ought to have that sense of expectation that today is the day that God is working. That today, tonight is the night where God is speaking. 
That now is the moment where God is compelling my lost loved one to come back home. And I don't know where they're at. I can't see them. They're too far away. But I'm going to trust God that today is the day that they make the decision to come back home. That's, that's how this father's faith was. He was looking for his son. And because he was looking for him, there came a moment where he saw him. We must be looking for that sinner. We must be looking for an opportunity to impact their lives. We must be looking for an opportunity to find them where they are and go to them where they are. And if we are not looking for them, we will not find them. If we are not looking for those conversations where we can give them a word from God, we'll never have that moment. If we are not carrying the bag of seed with us everywhere we go, we won't have a moment to plant the seed and hope it grows. We need to be looking for them. We need to be looking in our loved ones and our lost children and parents and, and, and grandparents and aunts and uncles when we're talking to them. And at the dinner table, we need to be looking for an opportunity to throw out a Bible verse or to throw out a testimony or to throw out something the Lord has done for us. Looking for an opportunity to show the grace of God into their life. got to be looking for them. I wonder, is there somebody here that would say, I've got somebody on my heart I've been praying for every day. Yeah. Are you looking for them? Not just praying for them. Looking for them. If I get a chance, I'm going to do something about this. Looking for them. This father had compassion this is a key theme to the gospel, compassion. Sinners are messed up. Some of you were messed up when you got saved. Bad. Some of you were so messed up when you got saved, it took you a long time after you got saved to stop being messed up. Those are the kind of people that we're praying for. It's going to take some compassion. It's going to take, when they lash out at you, it's going to take a love from God not to return it. When they hurt you, it's going to take the compassion of God not to return it in kind. I know, I know people that have been working with sinners that stole from them, that lied about them, that caused them problems. And I've seen some that returned it and got mad and fought with them. And those ones never came home. And I've seen other ones that with tears took the loss and eventually theirs made it home. It's, it's hard winning souls. And it is going to cost you something. There is an emotional, a spiritual, a physical, and even a monetary investment that goes into the work of winning souls. Amen. I don't know why I feel like, I feel like I'm struggling to get where I want to go here tonight. But the father had compassion on his son. He ran to meet him. Ran to meet him. I think there are two reasons why he ran to meet him. First of all, he's waiting on him. He'd been looking for him. Can you imagine an old man? I don't, I don't say that with any disrespect. An old man. Old isn't as, you know, old younger than it used to be. 
an old man with arthritis. Taken off running. I've got an encouragement for our elders today. You might not run as fast as you used to. But there is still a work for you. There are still prodigals that only you can reach. People that only you can touch. You might not shout as fast. You might not run as fast. You might not be able to carry all the burden you carried in your youth. But I want to tell you here today, there are people looking for your help. And there is a work for God for our elders. Say amen to that. Amen. Some of the most powerful things that have happened in my life have been elders that found me where I was. Camp. An elder member, when I, when I was a teenager, I was really struggling. And at a youth camp, an elder minister put his arm around me and prophesied over me. And everything that he said to me came to pass. Because there's a work for God for the elders. Amen. And uh, that, that's a rabbit trail, but some rabbits need to be shot. First of all, the father... The father saw his son because he was waiting on him. But secondly, he ran to him because he saw the condition that he was in. And I really believe the reason this father ran to meet his son is because he wasn't sure he'd make it home on his own. I want to tell you, I feel the Lord right here. I want to tell you there are some that are within reach of our church that will not make it here without you. They don't have the strength. Their life is too broken. Their hearts are too broken. They are too wounded. They're trying to come home, starving, hurting, longing, lonely, missing home. But they will not make it Unless you see them coming. And unless you go to where they are. Hallelujah. I feel the Lord right there. There are some of our lost loved ones that need you to drop everything and run to them. To find them. To call them. To knock on their door. And say, I've been looking for you. Amen. This father saw his son. Oh, how it must have broken daddy's heart. To see his boy so sick. Starving. I was in a service where backsliders were being preached to and a young man came to an altar. The Spirit of God spoke to us in that service and said this, and I'll never forget it in my whole life. It said, my son... When you took the first step towards me, I ran to meet you. How much, and if the Holy Ghost will run to meet them, how much more should the body of Christ, when I see them coming, the first hint, man, I'm starting to feel the preacher, the first hint that I get that God's dealing with them, I'm going to run to meet them. The first moment and opportunity I get to say something to them. I'm going to go to where they are. Because they might not make it through the back doors if I don't. Hallelujah. 
I know, I know a young lady that just, her and her husband just had a baby. They're involved in ministry for, for probably 16 or 17 years. Somebody picked her up for church every single service. Her mother is an alcoholic and would ground her from church when she got in trouble. And gave her a horrible time. And now she's involved in the ministry because somebody saw her coming and went to where she was literally and brought her to the house of God. I'm telling you, there are people that we can have an impact on if we'll just be willing to go to where they are. Amen. This father ran to his boy and right there where he was, he fell on his neck and kissed him. Lunged him into an embrace. Here's the thing. That father would have been able to smell the pigs on his boy. That Jewish daddy knew where his boy had been. He knew he was unclean religiously. And if I hug him, I will be too. But that's my baby. Some of us need to quit worrying about what people are going to think about how we look. We need to get a hold of that boy that smells like the pigs. And pull them into love. There are some young people that I know that I've been praying for. They have been so church hurt, it will be hard to ever get them to darken the doors. And so we're going to have to go to where they are. We've been working on them. We've been talking to them because they're our friends and we love them. But they are so broken, they don't want to ever darken the doors of the house of God again. But they're starving. And if I've got a chance to get to where they are, I've purposed in my heart to do it. They, they, they smell like the pigs. Their lives are broken and getting worse by the day. But I want to tell you what God does not care if they smell like the pigs because they'll starve to death there. He only cares about them coming home. Hallelujah. What do you care about in your dealings with your lost family? Do you just want them to get saved so they'll treat you right? Do you want them to just get saved so you'll have to stop dealing with their mess? Have you been praying, God, save them because I can't afford to bail them out anymore? Shouldn't be anyway. Don't send money grams to the pig pen. Preached that last week. Or are you praying, Lord, they're starving. And if I can get to them, I will. This, this, this son, this son launches into his prepared remarks. See, he'd prepared an apology. He had a speech. I've heard people say, you know what, I'm going to go get me a dress. I've had family members say this. I'm going to go get me a dress. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go clean up, and then I'll come to church. I said, just come to church. Problem was, I wasn't sure how that'd go. God forbid. Come to church. Just come. Just come. Thank God for a church that says, just come. You come to Jesus however you are. Wherever you are. Whoever you are. It's, it's Jesus that does the work. 
And if we start trying to do the work, we'll mess it all up. Let Jesus do the work. Just as I am, I come. That's the only way to get to Jesus. Amen. And uh, I got distracted. Where was I? And, and this, this father is listening to his boy. His boy's got a prepared apology. Dad, I've, uh, I've sinned against God and before you, and I'm not worthy to be your son. That's, that's part of death. Just give me a job. Two was, Dad, give me a job so I don't starve to death. Just give me a job. I'll live in the servants' quarters. I don't need my old bedroom. Just give me a job. His daddy never even let him get to part two of the, the apology tour. He said, Daddy, I've sinned. And his dad had already stopped listening and turned to the servants. Go get the fatted calf. See what his father was prepared to forgive. The moment his son came home, he didn't care about his wasted inheritance. He didn't care about the harsh words on the way out the door. He didn't care about any of those things. He just said, my boy was dead. I thought I'd never see him again. And here he is. We've got to be prepared to let the things they said go. We've got to be prepared to let the things they did go. We've got to be prepared to let the things they took go. We've got to be prepared to let the brokenness of their life go and leave it at the back doors of the church. If God forgave me of all of my sins, then I must forgive others of theirs or I am spitting in the face of the cross. Even as God forgave you, so also forgive others. I said that backwards, but that's still the point. Forgive the father said as soon, as soon as he made his apology, he didn't even listen to the rest of it. Dad, I messed up. I don't care. Get the fatted calf. That one. The fat one. Get that one. Prime rib tonight, baby. My boy was dead. And now he's home. doesn't matter what they did if you can get them home you leave what they did in the far country there just like Jesus left what you did in the far country there it doesn't matter if they've been divorced and remarried I understand certain things disqualify you from certain positions but it sure doesn't disqualify you from the grace of Jesus it doesn't matter if they've been bound by the devil in homosexuality. It doesn't matter if they're a drunk or an alcoholic or a prostitute or homeless. It doesn't matter how broken their life is. If they're going to come to Jesus, Jesus is going to take them. And if Jesus brings them to us, we better take them as fast as we can or we don't belong to Jesus. What happens in the far country goes no further than the blood. And it must be that way in our response to the sinner. Did you hear me? I'll say it again. What happens in the far country goes no further than the blood. The sins of my past go no further than the blood. The sins of your past go no further than the blood. And I must treat everyone that way because that's how God treated me. Amen.
Go kill the fatted calf. I don't read where they had to go buy a cow. They already had one. The only way to throw a party as soon as they come home is to already have the party supplies. Somebody in that house had been going in faith every day to feed that stupid cow. One of these days, sucker. You can move all you want right now. One of these days. Big Macs for everybody. One of these. Keep feeding the cow. Keep, keep feeding the cow. On days you don't want to, what I mean is keep praying for them. Keep reaching for them. Keep, keep shedding tears over them. Keep fasting over them. One of these days you'll kill that cow. Don't give up. How bad would that father have felt if that was the day he didn't feed the cow? They throw this party. They celebrate. Primary for everybody. Servants and all. So much that the other, the other brother with a bad attitude hears it out in the field and comes to see what's going on. We must be prepared to celebrate the deliverance that God can bring. I mean celebrate it. We ought to be, we ought to be ecstatic to about raptured into the third heaven when somebody gets saved. They ought to know that this is home. When they come in the door, before they even come to the altar, they ought to know they're home. This is God's house. And you belong here. Amen. And so they throw this party. But, and we ought to always have a fatted calf on hand. So that everybody knows there's more than enough in the house of God for you. But this, and I'm trying to, to, to wrap it up as I'm continuing to close. I haven't even started closing yet. Continuing to start to close. <clears throat> and uh, I started thinking about this fatted calf. But here's the thing. This boy was starving. And, and so I started doing some research on how to treat a starving person. And I found if you give them too much too soon, it'll kill them. Because their stomach has shrunk. Their metabolic processes have stopped. Their body doesn't know how to handle food anymore. They don't know how to respond to the love of God anymore. They, they don't know what to do with it. And if you give them too much too soon... Or if you just hand them a, a plate of prime rib and walk away, they'll die. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. That prodigal would have starved to death sitting at that plate of fatted calf. Because that's not what he needed. See, a starving person, you have to give them a few drops of water. And I was reading a few drops of broth or, or water with some kind of sugar in it. Just a few drinks here, a few drinks there, and then you move them to maybe some soup after a little while. And then maybe you can get them to some mashed potatoes after a little while. 
And then maybe you can get him to something with a little bit of crunch to it after a while. And then maybe weeks and sometimes months from then, you can begin to feed them a steak. And if we take somebody that comes back to God, and we just celebrate their arrival and throw them on the pew, and expect them to figure it out, they'll die. I'm going to tell you that returning prodigal cannot eat fatted calf. And real ministry starts when the party's over. The real ministry starts when the party's over. After we celebrate their arrival, and we should. After we pat them on the back and hug them and tell them we love them, and we should. That's when the real ministry starts. Because when they go home that night, they know that earlier that day they were a drug addict. And the devil's going to begin to work on them. They can't handle, they can't handle systematic theology after sojourning in the far country. They just need a few drops of Jesus. You can't, one of the worst things that the church does with backsliders is we, we, we get them to pray and then we put them in the pew, in the same pew they were before they left, and we expect them to be exactly what they were supposed to be before they left and figure it out. Listen, if they could have figured it out, they want to backslid. I have seen people in my family that I love that came back to Jesus and they were thrown on the pew and abandoned and they left home again. Prodigals that are unattended will always leave again. That's heavy. That's heavy and some of you feel the weight of it and you should. Because they need more than a momentary celebration. They need somebody to pray with them service after service after service after service. Some of them need you to meet them places during the week and pray with them there. Some, some of them need daily text message updates. Hey, how you living? This, some of them need you to come to their house and pick them up and take them to the house of God. Some of them might need you to find them a different place to live because they're living with a dealer. Some of, you, some of them are so wrapped up in things that it's going to take months to get them on any kind of solid food. Real ministry starts after the party. We want, or the person with our arm around them. And that's good. But the real hero is the person that makes the broth on Monday. The person that makes the soup on Thursday. And the person that reaches out to them on Friday. That's the real ministry to the prodigal. It's going to take more than one moment. It's going to take more than one service. And let, let me go one step further. I, I, I don't want to take this another service, and, and I don't want to say this in the wrong spirit, but I have to say it. That, that elder brother came home, and he was mad about the attention being given to the prodigal. And they killed a fatted calf for the, for the son, the younger son. This is what the elder brother says. I've been here doing right all this time. You never gave me a goat. You killed a big old cow for this idiot. And I've been right all this time and you never even gave me a little baby goat. Oh, poor me. I want you to understand something. I'm, I'm not going to say this sarcastically at all. If we start seeing people get saved, they will demand more of the preacher's attention. 
the pastor will need to spend less time with you and more time with them. And some of you are going to have to learn to pray for yourself. I'm not being mean. You're going to have to stop hanging on his coattails for your, for your experience. You're going to have to learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. Oh, he'll still be there for you. But what I'm saying is, see, see there comes a time when they're, they're, the baby becomes a toddler and there might be another baby. And the baby takes more time than the toddler does or than the teenager does. And if we have teenagers demanding the same amount of time as the baby, maybe we have a problem. I don't know. I'm brand new to this parenting. I, I know this. I know this. Spiritual toddlers should require less attention than spiritual babies. People that have been in church four, five, six years should require less personalized attention than somebody that just got saved. And I'm telling you, if you are inclined, and you are inclined to just fervently demand the pastor's attention at all moments, I'm not saying don't get a hold of him in a crisis, by all means do. If you require his constant supervision to stay saved, you've got to grow up. Because he's going to have to hold the baby. Do you hear me? And that baby might be yours. It might be your baby that he's holding. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't misunderstand my spirit. I'm not mocking you. It might be your son that he needs to pay attention to. And maybe you've got to call a friend instead. It, it, it might be your grandson that he's out with ministering to. And it looks like they're just having fun, but no, he's trying to keep them on the straight end. If we're going to have spiritual babies, some of the other children have to become a little more autonomous and have to learn to read and pray and grow for themselves. And in fact, they need to be mature enough to help with the baby. And you can't help with the baby if you're still trying to be the baby. There comes a time when you got to grow up. Because the Christian experience is you become a baby in Christ. And then you grow to a mature adult that is capable of changing the baby. And there are many churches that do not see converts. Because there ain't nobody that wants to quit being the baby and change the baby. Listen, there, there is this analogy. Come on, Jess, so I'll eventually shut up. There is this analogy in the scripture that somebody that gets saved is a babe in Christ. Okay? A baby. Babies cry. Babies yell. Babies require a lot of time and attention. I know this and mine ain't even here yet. My whole living room is full of stuff. Thank you, by the way, for this baby. Stuff I've got to build. Stuff. My wife ordered a dresser and it came in boxes. I said, what is this, an Ikea job interview? And it takes time. One of the most impactful things I've done in ministry was mentoring one person. It required hundreds of hours of time. I prayed with him almost every night. We very quickly became very close friends. At this moment, he is in the ministry. When he got saved, he was on drugs. 
we spent hours praying together and reading the Bible together. Brother Sam, I, I see what you're doing with Darian. I appreciate it. I see you loving on him and mentoring him. I see him coming to you and asking questions. Somebody's got to teach that child how to live for Jesus. As he grows, we're talking now, he's got past the baby stage, now he's into the toddler stage. Why? 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 Why do we do that? Why do we believe that? I love it. I hope we get a church full of young people saying, why do you believe in this Holy Ghost thing? Why do you believe in the Bible so much? Why do you, why? Why? I'll tell you. I'd be happy to tell you. If, If new converts are babies, I want you to hear this. Then returning backsliders are sick babies. Because not only do they have sin, but they have the shame of knowing that they knew Jesus and they left him. And so when we pray, Lord, fill our pews with backsliders, what you're saying is, Lord, I volunteer for a shift at the NICU. I volunteer, I feel the Holy Ghost right there. I volunteer for the intensive care unit. I volunteer for the trauma unit. And I say, Lord, make new life a specialized trauma center where the crack babies can come and be healed, where the sick babies can come, where the broken sinners, where the worst of them, where the ones nobody else would take. Who's willing to hold the Nick new baby all night long while it screams and cries because it's addicted to some kind of sin it needs deliverance from? Oh, God, help us here in this place. Who's willing to put aside what you want and what you need and where you're trying to go to hold somebody else's baby and love them all the way to Jesus. Who's willing to cook when the party's over? Oh God, make us the trauma center in this area where God says, I've got somebody I'm dealing with and I don't know of another church that can take care of them like New Life can so I'll send them there I know I've got some folks over there this baby's going to cry a lot it's going to be sick it's going to throw up on you it's going to get you dirty it's going to require your time and attention but I know I've got somebody sitting back there in the back row I can hinder that baby I, I can take this baby And I can put it in Sam and Julie's circle and I know they'll hold the baby. God, give us people. God, help me to be one of those people that I'll drive across town to hold the baby. This is my altar call tonight. I'm calling for volunteers, for shifts, in God's intensive care unit.